Hey guys, how's it going? And welcome back to Being an Asian in Modern British Society. Today, I have my good friend Rez on the show. Me and Rez met through mutual friends during our undergraduate degree and have always had discussions surrounding a hot topic right now, which is the halal and haram ratio. Now, I'm sure you've all heard of it. And if you haven't, well, you're about to. It's something us millennials have invented as a mapping tool to finding the one. We're going to talk about how uni may act as a breaking point in a young Muslim's life and shapes who they become and how this may impact their life choices in areas such as marriage, faith and general lifestyle. Now, before we start, I just wanted to give a shout out to Rez, who has actually launched his very own food Instagram page called Recipes. Follow Recipes on Instagram for some super tasty and aesthetically pleasing dishes. Hey Rez. Hey Shaz, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. The best I can be in this lockdown situation. Oh my god, yeah, I can so relate. And I just I think that's partially why I've made this podcast, just to kind of have yeah. something fun to do. I know it's definitely gonna get me through it, so I'm looking forward to the episodes. Oh good, I'm glad, I'm glad. Well, I'm glad that everyone else listening in today can hear what we normally talk about on a regular basis. Um, I'm excited for this one. Yeah, me too. But let's start off with talking about our experiences. So me and you, we met at uni, didn't we? Yeah. And our experience, yeah, and I'm sure like our experience was very different to like the rest of the countries because we went to the University of Bradford. Um, Very different. Very, very different. But let's backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about what it was like for us before Mm. university. So I grew up in uh, Bethnal Green, East London, and it's a very um, predominantly Bangladeshi community to live here. Like, I think in my school, there's probably only about four white kids. Um, you know, some other people from different communities, but mainly Bangladeshi. You know, when I moved out for university, I mean, I knew I was going to Bradford, so I, I kind of had an idea of, you know, where I was going and what kind of people are going to be there. But I didn't expect that like, I'm going to be moving into the same type of thing where there's 90% Asians uh, <laughs> again. But I guess yeah. the only difference was that these Asians were from so many different backgrounds, which was so new to me because, you know, you had different faith groups, different cultural groups, and, you know, it was really eye-opening. And I think that's where I was able to kind of find my feet and kind of find my freedom, if you will, at university. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I can, like, resonate with that because I went to um, a predominantly, like, Asian Pakistani school and, um, like, 90%, I'd say, was predominantly Pakistani. So, like, I felt most comfortable in that environment because I've I've always kind of been in that environment since I was about five years old. And then for sixth form, I moved to the opposite side of Sheffield and it was just completely different. I had a culture shock like people the predominant person there was I'd say white English and you know they do all these kind of things that I wouldn't normally do like in terms of hobbies with their parents or they'd go skiing on the weekends and it was like oh my god like massive (laughs) culture shock and then I go to the University of Bradford and meet not just one type of Asian but all these different types of Asians so believe it or not I never I've never met a Sri Lankan before I went to the University of Bradford. Now, yeah. I know that's completely alien to you because you live in London and there's so many like Sri Lankans. But, and honestly, it was the 
exact same for me. Like I know there was a big Tamil community over there and it was the exact same for me. I, I hadn't met anyone from those backgrounds. So I, I relate to you completely on that. Yeah, and honestly, I think Bradford was when I found like my clique, like my niche. Like I think with school and with sixth form, you kind of like have to choose um, yeah. who you're friends with because you you haven't got a, a wide pool there. But like when you go yeah. to university, you can truly like kind of find your find your group and and kind of yeah. flourish in that group mm. while you have Definitely. it. But yeah, yeah, like uni, I'd say was a massive turning point for me. Mm. And for, and like, I don't know about you, but I think in general, in a young 100%. Muslim's life. Yeah, I think moving out was the biggest thing for me. I think I already kind of lived a certain lifestyle here with my friends. You know, we go out to restaurants and stuff like that. You're, you know, you're free mixing, which is kind of frowned upon in my immediate community. Yeah. Um, but moving out kind of gave you that freedom to kind of just be who you are and you know, not kind of have to worry about auntie seeing you on the street yeah. and whatnot, you know, just kind of living your best life, living free out there and having a good time. Um, so yeah, moving out was like brilliant. And I always, I'm an advocate for it. And I don't think my family members like that because I'm always like, you know, come on, you've got to move out because, you, you know, you get this sense of independence. But um, it was, I mean, how was it for you? Because Yeah, definitely. Like, I completely agree with me. It was like, no one knew you so you could be exact like anyone you wanted to be you know you'd experiment you'd you'd kind of like with societies you could go to different societies and you'd make a whole bunch of friends in one society and then a whole bunch of friends in another society and in Bradford in particular it was quite evident that people who were native to Bradford lived a very different Mm. life Um, and so like I felt like kind of I saw the perks while watching Mm. their lifestyle about living away from home. Like, Mm. for example, we didn't have curfews, you know, everyone lived with each other. So it was safe. So like things like, I don't know, going a Bradford was quite prominent for like going out for desserts and going Mm. out for shisha and going out for food just in general. It's just known for food. And so we didn't have to worry about a curfew because everyone that we were with we practically lived in the same campus so it was safe and we didn't have to think about things like that yeah definitely I mean it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that the people that were native to there lived a very different life because I remember clearly having you know friends of course like friends from Bradford coming out with us and them having to be like oh my god I might be seen here I need to be careful here and here and you're just like oh so whilst you're at university you still don't have the same freedom as those of us who have moved out I found it quite sad personally but of course I guess you know in our own hometowns we would have the same issue as well yeah, definitely. And I think another one of them things would be like, I don't know, the aspect of like nights out and Freshers mm. Week. So Freshers Week is like, I'd say a lot of Freshers Weeks in a lot of universities mm. are mainly around alcohol and clubbing and going out. Yeah. And like, obviously, being from mm. a young Muslim background, it was kind of like, where do you find the balance? Because yes, you wanted to get involved. Yeah. And you know, you you probably didn't want to go clubbing for the alcohol aspect, maybe because you just like the music and you wanted to dance. And mm. so it was all about finding that balance. And yeah. I think a lot of people who did live in Bradford or did commute, they probably didn't have that I'd say that opportunity and that freedom as much as we did and like it was strange for me to start off with because obviously I'd never been on a night out I'd always lived at home and because I lived at home there was like a curfew instilled and it just wasn't the dumb thing to do whereas at university it was kind of like everybody was doing it and everyone was like come on Shaz like try it out you'll enjoy it you know you'll love the music 
and obviously they were playing R&B and they were playing hip hop and stuff that I normally would enjoy just like dancing in my room so like yeah. it was it was the kind of thing it was the kind of thing of like you know where's the balance like okay yeah I want to go out but I don't want to go out to get hitched I don't want to go out to kind of mm. drink I just want to go out to kind of you know make new friends and get that aspect of uni life which I guess it's part of the uni life uh, yeah. but also just kind of finding the balance with me being a young Muslim as well. I think, um, you know, before I went to university, I, that was one thing that I was actually really worried about because, you know, you hear about all these people that are drinking all the time and you're just like, oh, you know, like you said, I love I love music, but I don't, didn't want that aspect of it to be my life. But, you know, Bradford was so accommodating that I remember we had like on Freshers Week, we had Stormzy come in, we had Day oh, yeah. we had some really good artists come in and actually you know, I found that a lot of um, different background people were there. Like we were just all, in, we were just there for the music and we were just all enjoying it. So I found it to be, okay, like this is like a safe space for everyone from these different backgrounds to enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. And it was, you're right in the sense where our university in particular was very accommodating, like for, especially for British Asian Muslims. Like we had things like Kowali nights, we had biryani like exactly. oh, Those two pound biryani, <laughs> I do miss them at Shin Central. Oh my God, shout out to Fires for organising that all the time. <laughs> like, honestly, like we would have biryani all the time and it would be coming out left, right and centre from our ears. And like, yeah. it was like Eden henna stalls. And I love the collaboration. Like you'd have things like Bollywood Dance Society collaborating with the mm. henna stall, with the henna society. And then yeah. obviously, you know, just to accommodate uh, people who are from a Muslim background, there was Islamic speakers that came in and, you know, they, they talked about finding the balance between both actually. And like, they talked about, um, like relationships and like leading like a, a young Muslim life in the British society so that was something that was you know really helpful to have around and I guess when you're walking past the, the union it was nice to kind of listen in to, to all this yeah. kind of stuff but yeah you're completely right in the sense like we had popular musical acts as well like Stormzy and Jay Huss and like it and was you all... know like having festivals like we did on you know Party in the Amp I mean you and I both know we fully made use of that it was like oh, a yeah. festival on campus grounds it was amazing and what was so interesting to me is that whilst you would walk like on a normal day walking around back to campus you would see I would say about 90% Asian to 10% non-Asian mm. This was the first time in the entire university year when you would see the opposite, like 90% non-Asian and 10% Asians. Like this was the grounds where Asians would not kind of branch into, you know, like it was kind of, there was a general sense of, okay, this is frowned upon. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I remember kind of, uh, you know, I mean, we just went for the, the for the music and a barbecue and that sort of thing. And I just remember the library looked over this campus part and, you know, of course there were, you know, hijabis there, there were, because this is university grounds this is a safe space for everyone to enjoy what they want to enjoy I just remember looking up and seeing you know certain individuals kind of giving that judgy stare giving that judging eyes judging eyes exactly when we know that they're in the library 24 7 doing the exact same thing so that you know <laughs> it just really brings you to question okay what is um an appropriate halal what is the setting for this to be appropriate because free meeting is clearly going on but it's only frowned when it's in a different environment exactly in library but not in a party atmosphere I completely agree like it was it, the whole halal haram setting 
is a thing like people think it's not a thing but it's absolutely a thing like Mm. your people you know you've got the old saying oh mom I'm just going to the library but that's (laughs) but really we all know like she is going to the library or he is going to the library but it's like it's the place to kind of free mix and kind of get Mm. to know someone and exactly I guess it's considered more of an acceptable setting whereas places like party on the amp which I think it's because there is an element of alcohol involved and, and, and yeah. maybe even music where mm. interacting with the opposite gender is just kind of seen as a no-no. But the thing is, it could be that you are Muslim and you're just sat down on the amp, which was like a piece of like green grass <laughs> yeah. area for those who don't know. And it kind of arched over and kind of turned into some form of stairs and it kind of overlooked a stage that was put up. And this happened every year. And it was surprising to see that, you know, yeah, a lot of like, I'd say hijabis in particular didn't come because they probably wanted to, but felt like they couldn't. And that brings Mm. me on to like another thought of, you know, the representing the religion of Islam and like Mm. the whole idea of like modesty and identity. And it's just so sad to see that there's a lot of like Muslim girls who do wear the hijab because they believe it's part of their identity. But then they're also given this enormous amount of pressure to represent the religion. And maybe that's not what they opted for. And it's really kind of sad. Like I know one of my friends, um, I went to Shisha with her and like we went to the Shisha place and all of us were Muslim. But because she was wearing the hijab, somebody kind of like shouted out, you shouldn't be in here. And I can't imagine how she felt. Like, she felt terrible. Sounds horrible. It's just a double standard, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely like a double standard. And it's like, it definitely ties into like the halal haram settings. But yeah, another thing I think it all stems from is the fact that our parents don't necessarily want us to talk to the opposite gender. Like, they kind of, it's one of those things, Reza, which I don't know if you've like resonate with this, but with me, I was very fortunate in the sense where my parents were like they didn't actually say you can't talk to boys I mean that Mm. was kind of a given you're going to talk to boys at school yeah but it was more like there was a certain barrier or a certain limit so yes I could have friends that were boys but I weren't necessarily allowed to kind of go to their house and yeah do homework together like I would at my you know a girl's house and how was it Mm. for you I mean, uh, for me, it was kind of the same. I think my mum always knew that I had a mixed group of friends. Like, you know, actually, my friend's group was actually the only mixed group in the entire school, probably. Um, but she, she knew, you know, um, but she did always tell me to be careful because she was aware that people in the community would gossip. So she was like, look, I know you're not doing anything wrong, but just be careful because there are certain people who will, as you know, come back to your parents and tell you, oh, I've just seen your son. And so she was just like, just be careful. But, you know, I remember, so I just reminded me of an experience where I was with my friends, actually, in the park and we were just hanging out as you do after school. And these group of young, uh, you know, Muslim boys walk past and one of them was really staring at us. We were just like, oh, my God, have we done something wrong? wrong what's going on blah 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 yeah and he just walked up to us and he was just like look brothers and sisters I'm not supposed to be hanging around together so if you will can you please just separate right now and oh we God. were kind of like dumbfounded we were like what then he was like yeah separates this because this is not allowed in Islam and you know it wasn't he made it so awkward for us that we just kind of split up and kind of moved away but you know this kind of stuff happened in the community that I was living in so yeah and it makes you think that where where do we have the balance where do we draw the line because we're not living in Bangladesh or India exactly. or yeah. we're not living in an Asian country like in Britain we do free mixing is a thing like it's incorporated into you know we, we have boys and girls schools but most schools are unisex and we, we do sit next to a guy and a girl at the age of I don't know six 
and yeah. that kind of carries on until our uni life and so we're quite exactly. naturally going to make friends with the opposite gender and it's not always seen as a romantic thing like a lot of us no. have lots of friends who are boys and girls and you know we wouldn't it, the thought of even being with exactly. them would just be like Ugh. <laughs> I know. so and it's just it's sad really and like it's all about finding the balance and just kind of like yeah it is interesting that you mentioned that sorry to cut you off because i actually you know remember having a conversation um with someone at school and they were just like wait so i don't understand how can you be friends with a girl with, a, with an opposite sex without wanting to have anything more and they just were so they couldn't comprehend that you could just be friends with the opposite sex and I, I just thought that was very sad you know yeah definitely and i think what it what it is it ties it ties into perhaps like the older generation so mm. maybe the older generation or our forefathers, maybe it wasn't a common thing to interact with the opposite gender. And it would only happen if there was going to be like a marriage. So for example, the whole aspect of arranged marriages mm. and how like I've got some friends where they'd never interacted with the opposite gender and they came, they came home one day and their fathers sat them down and said, son, you're getting married. And they met their spouse on the day. And that was it. That was how they got <laughs> to know like an opposite gender. I mean, anyone other than their sister or their brother, they, they didn't really mingle with. And it was kind of like the mindset that parents tended to know what was best back in the day. Yeah. Mm. And it was just a lot of things weren't talked about, like the aspect of, let's say, even the talk itself was <laughs> yeah. forbidden. Like, I don't know whether if you got the talk. Oh, my God. No, not at all. Each, <laughs> my family still changed the channel when cartoons are kissing. So that should give you um, an idea of what it's like. But no, the talk is complete. Never, 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 never. <laughs> I mean, like, you got to find out for yourself. Absolutely. I mean, like with me, my mum gave my sister the talk and I think my sister was kind of expected to give me the talk, but she never got yeah. around to it. So learning about kind of interaction and that kind of thing was was something that I kind of had to learn like throughout uni and like through ed education, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it, it was it's just one of those things. But I, I'm sure that I'm I'm kind of like optimistic to say that the newer generation are more like. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, 100%. I think let's just take well, when I think about our generation, I'd like to think when we're parents, we're kind of we know what it's like to kind of be left in the unknown about these things. We feel so in the dark about it. We would like to speak about it, but we can't because it's Sharon, because it's um, embarrassing for parents to talk about this kind of stuff. So we just well, I know from my perspective anyway, we're not, we know when if I get that stage, hopefully I will definitely be open to having that conversation because you don't want your children to be in the dark about this stuff. Absolutely. And also it could save many things from happening. Like, for example, I think the talk is so important mm. because, for example, of signs of abuse and in terms of like educating your child about what is right and what is wrong. And like many, many children may suffer from anxiety because they might have that, you know, the feel of, oh, my body is changing, but I really don't know yeah. why that is. And so the talk is so important for so many reasons. And like, especially the case of, let's say a lot of these, a lot, like if you're on the really really halal end of the ratio and you come mm. to your like wedding night about knowing like <laughs> yeah. what, what, you know what what these things are because it's all taboo we don't talk is that about ever discussed it. I don't know is that never, ever discussed never <laughs> never and the thought the even to bring it up with parents sometimes is, is oh. another level of anxiety in itself <laughs> yeah but I, I'd like it to shouldn't think, be this hard it should not be this hard <laughs> 
But it is, unfortunately. And I think it's because our parents are scared about us knowing too much at the same time. Mm. And like, and they don't want yeah. us to know too much, but at the same time, they, they kind of expect us to know and expect us to find partners. So I don't know yeah. if this was a thing with you, but with me, it was kind of like, okay, don't talk to boys in a romantic way mm. at all. And then when it got to uni, it was kind of like, so have you found anyone? <laughs> I don't know if it was the same with you. I mean, you know, on my family are a bit more uh, conservative, so they never even really brought up that topic. But um, no, they've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they expect they. My family's a bit more traditional in the sense that they do favour arranged marriages a lot more. Um, they do believe they know best, and they yeah. believe that they'll find the appropriate spouses for yeah. myself and my siblings. Yeah. Well, I think with my family, it was slightly different because. Um, I'll give you a little bit of an insight into my mother and father's uh, love story. So mm. they both met each other in Saudi, uh, of all places. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and my dad was actually my mum's patient. And he okay. was kind of like, he, okay. had, he, had, um, he had the choice of like seeing many other physiotherapists, but mm. he had his eyes set on my mum. And then yeah. he, he kind of chased after her for, I'd say a good number of years and like yeah. tried to kind of like, you know, get her on the phone. And obviously things were in such restricted environments. They couldn't really like, like meet one another. They were really taking risks they in Saudi really Arabia. Were. They really <laughs> but it happened it happened and so I think as a result of that my parents because they had a love marriage I think they kind of mm. wanted the same for me and my sister so yeah. finding someone has always been the pressure that's been on us rather than them mm. yeah okay. so but I know like a it's lot so, go for it sorry it's so interesting to hear because actually it was different when I went to university um you know bear in mind all of my friends in the background that I come from all of our parents have had arranged marriages Everyone we know, their parents have had arranged marriages. So when I came to the University of Bradford, truly it was the first time that I had friends whose parents had had love marriages. And it was so interesting to hear that, you know, all these amazing, amazing stories of them falling in love in exotic destinations. And you're just like, okay, wow. So this is a thing. It's, it's bizarre. But for me growing up, it was just all we knew was, okay, mom and dad, my, my, I think my grandpa um, sat my mom down, like, okay, you're going to get married on this day. And my mom was like a good, obedient Muslim woman. So she's like, okay, you're going to listen to my dad. My dad, he knows best. And I'm going to marry this guy. And that's how they met. And, oh, wow. you know, to, to hear these other stories and to you, that must have been so bizarre because, you know, your upbringing was very different. And yeah my it's yeah just, definitely. it's just so nice to hear this other side and, and now to want that as well yeah but to be honest one thing I do sympathize with though is mm. you know the whole dating aspect and like like how us British Asians we joke about it but we have the interfering aunties you know the Asian community yeah. surveillance system and it yeah. makes it so hard to even have a friend never mind a boyfriend or a girlfriend to the in the opposite gender whereas like that's another thing like with boyfriends and girlfriends like you don't call someone you're romantically kind of feel something for a boyfriend or a girlfriend even it's kind of like no 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 that's that's a bad thing it's a taboo thing and even though it's normal in British culture it's not so normal in, in like Asian culture and so it's like yeah. finding the balance again and and then mm. in this generation it's like okay well where do we find someone then like because gatherings aren't as prevalent mm. especially during yeah. COVID <laughs> and also <laughs> yeah. fun functions like there's, there's hardly any functions these days and I think 
back in the day that was kind of a way to finding a match mm. but now we've we've yeah. had to kind of like seek alternative ways of finding matches like the cv the infamous cv <laughs> oh my god the bio does <laughs> you know what this is i think this is something that's predominant in bangladeshi culture because i remember when i was at bradford a few of my pakistani friends came up to me and said res what is this cv thing that we keep hearing that you bengalis do and i'm like oh <laughs> you guys don't do it so i think it's a bengali thing but for anyone wondering it's literally think a cv like a job one but it has your family details what your parents do what village you're from in bangladesh what kind of wife you're looking for or what kind of husband you're looking for and people go into detail sometimes <laughs> unnecessary detail so i don't know if you i don't know if you've come across that Shaz, but we've had a, like a few proposals for various family members yeah where people have been so it's just okay it shouldn't be on paper like you know that kind of um, thinking even but people are just like I want a wife who will cook and clean for my mom and my dad and all of my in-laws they need to be light brown they need to be meanwhile have you seen their photo oh my they're God. really <laughs> punching like it's ridiculous but you, oh, you get these day. and that's how people um in our community anyways that's how they kind of seek out um uh, Rishta's Oh my god, it's it's the 21st century, people. It's the 21st century. And it's all about, I guess it's seen as a modern way of of parents finding matches. But I think a lot of us can say that they see it as like a last resort kind of thing. Like Mm. there is a stigma against it, sadly. But I think it's all because of what you've just described, because of people putting down ridiculous (laughs) things like that. And it's like, I know, like if you're, this is not seeking out a slave, this is not what this is anymore. Exactly, exactly. But I guess it's kind of that's kind of seen as like a last resort. And those people who don't feel comfortable doing that, I guess, as a young Muslim, they'll probably go Mm. on the next alternative would be dating apps and like you've got dating apps like Muzmatch and Hinge and Bumble Mm. but then there's another ratio issue there exactly because because that's a whole other ball game absolutely and you've got some Muslims that won't go on certain apps like I know some Muslims that won't go on Muzmatch because they think oh Mm. people who are too religious will only be on there and then you've got some Muslims who will go on Hinge because they feel like okay we'll find someone that's a bit more liberal on on our level on here and then it's just where do you go like how do you find the balance so hard is it's so hard to strike i don't think you can ever really strike the balance there's always going to be you're always going to be in a different part of the spectrum absolutely and i know one of my friends like i spoke to her about this whole issue and she was like shaz there's a scale you know Mm. and i said what do you mean okay is this scale one to a hundred is it one to ten uh do you compromise between 60 and 40 she was like no in her head it was like a scale of one to a hundred so like yeah. if she'd met up with a guy she'd come back and she'd tell her friends oh you know he was a 62 so a mm. hundred being <laughs> really halal and one being yeah, absolutely yeah. haram yeah. oh my god I was like this, this was mind-blowing because it's like yes everyone's I, I definitely think of it that way as well it has to be a one to hundred because there are so many different factors there are so many little things that kind of contribute towards the halal and towards the haram that it can't just be a one to ten there's too much there exactly and I think you know what happens along the way because people are so warped into this halal haram ratio they might find someone that they really do like and Mm. then later on in the relationship they'll realize oh my god in future life when I want to get married maybe this is not what I need or this is not what I want because I don't know some people want to find their deen or Mm. you know some people want to like 
have realized that they're just not as in touch with their religion anymore and that causes especially after like I don't know a year relationship or two years Mm. relationship that scale changes within relationships even not even the dating stage but let's yeah. say you're you've been in a uni relationship with someone mm. and then after university because you've done all the experimenting and you've done all the you know trying out different cultures now you kind of want to go one way and maybe your partner might want to go another way so mm. this whole ratio thing it's so difficult because not only is it difficult to find someone but it also causes a lot of heartbreak yeah and I think totally see that it's it's just it's terrible and then it's like one of those things where okay, so you, d- you don't want to do the wrong thing or you don't want to, in inverted commas, sin. But then, like, it's kind of those things, like, do you, do you sit with your other half in, in their car? And, like, even if you do, it's like, oh, my God, every car looks like my dad's car. And it, it kind of, like, I think every Asian has yeah. been in that scenario where they're just... They're, oh, they're scared yeah. 24-7. And, like, I yeah. don't know if you're... There's mm. the scenarios, like, speaking to your girlfriend and boyfriend on the phone at night, but, like, you've got to whisper because you can't you can't make it they or the kind of things, like, I don't know, saving them as a, as a different name on your phone. Oh. Yeah, standard procedure. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I'd like to think that things are evolving and that minds are opening. Oh, definitely. I'm definitely seeing a change in the sort of, you know, the sort of Generation Z, if you will, the ones below us that are, I feel like they're making a really big movement to sort of shift this forward thinking Asian society. What do you think? I don't no. know if you've, you know, even you see it all the time on TikTok and everything, like how people are really, I feel like it's really changing slowly but surely. I think it's heading in a, in a positive direction. No, I completely agree. And I think a lot of people are addressing this, like you said, rightfully, or like via TikTok and like Mm -hmm. just in discussions amongst themselves. And like as a result of that, I've seen like a lot of successful university marriages. So people have found each other and, you know, they're, they're able to kind of like interact more. And I think they're more honest with their parents that's another thing as well and I think Mm. parents are opening up to the idea that you know we are going to interact with the opposite gender and so there have been more as a result of that there have been more successful university marriages and more successful love marriages at that if anything I think love marriages are more encouraged now than they have been before um and it's just one of those yeah and I think it's just one of those things where like parents also just think oh we don't want that burden we don't want the burden of having to find Mm. you someone just find someone yourself and I think that's that's also quite prevalent in today's society as well which to be honest is a good thing it is I'm waiting for my parents to get to that stage I think they need a little bit of a nudging I think they're kind of coming to it that idea but I think slowly they are I think they realize at the end of the day they just want their children to be happy and if they found someone that they're genuinely happy with you know they'll be happy for you at the end of the day yeah genuinely and I think I think with my parents it's like oh please don't come to me please don't come to me please find somebody (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing how two people brought up in Britain both Bengali have had two very different experiences in this department but it's amazing how (laughs) we're able to kind of sit down on a podcast talk about it laugh about it and just kind of hope for the best that things will change I, I feel positive I think things will change I'm really calm. I, you know it, it will be so nice you know in our old age to kind of look back and be like okay wow it's really changed because we're third generation and it's we've all I think we're the biggest gap you know like we've changed it the most since our grandparents generation came to this country so I've, I've got positive hope for it yeah same I think I vote positive too 
And on that note, I think we'll bring the podcast to a close. But thank you so much for joining me on this okay, podcast. Jess, thanks Red. for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I mean, like, there's no one I would have rather had on this episode than you because this Thank is you. all we talked about for years on we end. Do, yeah. And I'm so glad. The double standards, the yes. ratio. It's, it's, <laughs> it's all about our conversations. And I'm so glad it's been brought to the surface and we're kind of able to share this discussion with everyone else. Well, that was one interesting conversation, wasn't it? I'm so glad you guys got to listen into a conversation that me and Rez tend to have on the regular. And I can't wait to share all the next upcoming episodes with you too. All the content in this podcast is based on personal thoughts and opinions. We do not wish to offend anyone, but instead offer an insight into our personal experiences. However, if you find yourself wanting to get in touch, please do not hesitate to contact me. Anyway, bye for now.